This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. Now, you remember in the previous episode, we were reading the first few verses of letter number 10 on living to oneself, and we're discussing this idea that you know Seneca is not really writing to a real person called Lucilius, but he's actually writing to his soul or to himself as as a technique of, uh, you might even think of it as divination, you know, as the, this, this poetic technique allowing him to gain insights into his mind and insights into... Uh, the, the the philosophy, the wisdom that might help him to uh, reawaken the part of himself that is powerful and standing on, upon a firm foundation, as he says, you know. And so he was kind of talking about the the days when he remembers his soul really shining forth and and really speaking with power. He says uh, he says here that these words did not come from the edge of the lips. These utterances have a solid foundation. This man is not one of the many. He has regard for his real welfare. And he says that that he wants to speak and live in this way, to see to it that nothing keeps you down, meaning uh, his soul or, or the, the better part of himself, the best part of himself. And uh, I did actually get uh, a response from Nancy Sherman as well. She she was kind enough to mention that, uh, you know, she does believe that uh, Seneca was just writing to himself and that this is kind of common knowledge. It might be common knowledge among academia, I replied. Uh, but, you know, it seems that everywhere you look online, uh, people still very much hold to this idea that Seneca was writing to uh, Lucilius, a real person. But um, you quickly find out uh, wherever you look that, you know, the only way that we know of Lucilius is from from Seneca's writings. So there's definitely something else going on here. Anyway, nonetheless, uh, we're we're focusing on this letter uh, on the idea that Seneca is trying to call forth the best in himself, right? He's trying to call forth the absolute ideal self that lives within him that is standing on a firm foundation and which can uh, give him the wisdom and the courage and the the the, the necessary fortitude to uh, speak bravely in life and to to move in the direction that would be best for him and for the future generations and he brings another element into this letter in the kind of fourth quarter of the letter uh, which is talking about prayer right and so I, I really thought that this required a separate episode just because uh, this is the first time that we are seeing that Seneca is talking about prayer in his letters and uh, I think it's necessary to to you know spend some time with this and, and see what we take away from it so I'll read what he says he says the following quote as for your former prayers You may dispense the gods from answering them. Offer new prayers, prayers for a sound mind and for good health, first of soul and then of body. And of course you should offer those prayers frequently. Call boldly upon God. You will not be asking him for that which belongs to another. End quote. So, obviously, what Seneca is trying to do here is he's trying to encourage us to stop praying for things that uh, really either don't matter or are not ours to pray for or control, uh, and and to start praying for those things that sort of are within our control or at least are worthy to pray for, right, are, are, are actually useful to us in our lives and meaningful to us in our lives. 
And equally importantly, he's trying to get us to stop praying for things that just don't belong to us, whether that is uh, material things or, you know, whether it's a, a kind of duty that doesn't belong to you, something that is beyond your power to deal with and therefore is not a part of your, uh, not part of your duty as a human being, right? And I think that this is, this is really interesting. And, and, and on top of this, I think it helps to think about prayer in a different way, right? Because, uh, you know, with our very materialist worldview, uh, that we often uh, harbor today, uh, it's easy to kind of throw prayer out as a superstitious exercise that really doesn't matter at all, right? But I think that one of the most helpful things that I learned in the past year and a half was uh, simply to think about prayer in a different way, you know, to think of it not as some sort of uh, superstitious, uh, you know, silly exercise that doesn't really matter at all, matter at all but uh, to think of it almost as a, a meditation, you know, almost as, as a a exercise in going deep into your mind and discovering the parts of yourself that you might not have seen if you hadn't have had that quiet moment to speak with yourself or to speak with uh, God or whatever it is, your conscience or your consciousness, uh, you know, a moment to to sit with yourself and 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 meditate on how you could be better, how you could grow and expand your understanding and your wisdom in your life. And I think that that is a far more sophisticated view of what prayer is and, and why it may have evolved uh, to be such an important part of so many people's lives, right? And so I think that it's it's very honorable that Seneca, Seneca here is, is kind of trying to encourage himself and us to stop praying for things that don't matter, but to start asking for the things that we really, uh, you know, we really need, we genuinely really need in our lives, which is to be wiser, to be stronger, to be better, and to, to, to be healthier, you know, uh, in the soul and the body. I think that that's just such a such a important, such an important point uh, to take away from this reading. And I have to say that, you know, in the past kind of year and a half, I've been spending a lot of time in kind of quiet personal reflection uh, and meditation, uh, you know, not necessarily trying to get rid of my thoughts, but trying to have quiet conversations with myself, wrestling with deeper and deeper questions and, and wrestling with the path that I should be on at any particular moment in my life. And this seems to me to be indistinguishable from prayer uh, by by definition of the the way that many people see it uh, but to me it seems like a prayer you know having that conversation with yourself and trying to uh, almost divine a path forward uh, where you feel as though you're gaining an insight into the inner workings of of, of your consciousness of your mind and uh, I, I I don't think that anything has been more valuable for me and my personal growth as, as well as you know the growth of all other areas of my life nothing Nothing has been more important to me than those quiet moments and those quiet conversations, uh, especially when I'm doing a journaling of some sort, or mostly it has been writing, uh, uh, you know, for for books and things like that. Uh, so yeah, you know, I think I think that it's such an important practice, and I think that it's it's appropriate that so many of the Stoics, including Epictetus, you know, kind of beseech us to, uh, to, to pray openly and to pray for things that really matter, that really matter for our lives and, and to, to ask for the things that uh, are, ours to, to, are ours to have, you know. So anyway, I'm going to read on. He says the following, quote, But I must, as is my custom, send a little gift along with this letter. It is a true saying which I have found in Athenodorus. 
He says, Know that thou art freed from all desires when thou hast reached such a point that thou prayest to God for nothing except that which thou canst pray for openly. But how foolish men are now! They whisper the basest prayers to heaven, but if anyone listens, they are silent at once. That which they are unwilling for men to know, they communicate to God. Do you not think, then, that some such wholesome advice as this could be given to you? Live among men as if God beheld you. Speak with God as if men were listening. Farewell. End quote. All right, so these are some powerful words, right? You know, he's, he's kind of talking about these people who uh, pray these, you might say, petty or foolish prayers, prayers that uh, really, you know, you have no business asking the highest possible good or God, you know, uh, for these sorts of things. And so, you know, if, if, if other people start to listen, they get very quiet. They don't, wanna, they don't want other people to know what it is that they're praying for. But Seneca is making the point here that prayer is a holy and divine exercise that that we undergo and it's 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 not to be taken lightly and it's not to be uh, spent uh, asking for frivolous things that that you have no place asking for uh, but it is the kind of place where you would like Seneca is saying here uh, search for those things that are within you that need to be reawoken that need to be rediscovered uh, things that are within your power to grasp and he makes this amazing admonition to say that we should live among men as if God beheld us and speak with God as if men were listening, which is such a powerful line to think about. And I want to break it down a little bit further by by saying that, you know, firstly, when it comes to the living as if God were were watching us at all times, you know, we are aiming creatures. And and when you set an aim, uh, one interesting thing that I learned from Jordan Peterson, he mentioned that, you know, when you set an aim, it's appropriate to think of it as if you have now set a judge for yourself, because your aim is obviously going to be something that is going to uh, by necessity, call out the best of yourself in order to achieve it, right? You're setting some, an aim at something that is higher than who you are right now. Uh, and, and so, when you do that, it's actually kind of scary because, uh, uh, and this is, this is such an interesting thing to think about it because it, it really resonates with me and it probably will with you, right? Sometimes you don't want to set an aim because you're afraid you don't have the courage to even face up to the fact that that's now going to be your judge because when you set the thing that you want to move towards, then then you immediately know when you're not getting close to it, right? And so you judge yourself and you say, uh, well, I set this aim and I didn't do it and, and now I'm in pain, right? Uh, and so it's it's appropriate to think of these aims as a new judge for yourself. Uh, and, and what the idea of God in some ways does, right, is it identifies you with the highest possible aim. It's like if you could live your life in such a way that the highest being, the highest possible good that exists in the world would be pleased by the way you live your life. Uh, that's, you know, it's it's a scary thing to to have above you because it is such a terrifying judge. Uh, but then again, uh, what else would you want to have as your judge in life other than the highest possible good? How else would you want to live your life other than in such a way 
that you justify your existence by by the virtue that you bring about in the world and the goodness that you share with other people, with your community, uh, because you are aiming at the highest possible good, right? And then he talks about, uh, you know, speaking with God as if men were listening. And as we've talked about, what he's saying here is that you, you should be asking for things that are worthy and things that are truly meaningful and things that you wouldn't be embarrassed to ask uh, God for in front of other people. Uh, meaning, you know, you have God as your judge in the way that you live your life and you have people as your judge almost in terms of the way that you speak to God. And I think that that is a killer philosophical idea that can really be helpful uh, in our lives. So I'm going to try and put that into practice uh, as much as I can uh, to the extent that it is even possible, right? But, uh, you know, I think about this letter almost as if it is one large prayer that Seneca is writing to God in order to bring forth the very best of himself and the best of his soul. You know, he wants to find that firm foundation upon which he can he can always have at his disposal uh, the most powerful part of himself. You know, the the most truthful, the most wise part of himself, and and I think that Seneca is practicing what he is preaching in the same letter that he is preaching it, right? Because he's he's asking for things that are worthy, things that are admirable, things that are holy, and and he's asking them right before he. It encourages us to to be very careful about what it is that we're asking for and to ask only for things that are within our power and for things that are worthy of such an exercise. And so I think that this is, it's interesting to think about it like that because it does seem and sound like uh, a large prayer to bring forth the best of himself. And and I think that this is this is good advice for all of us. This is, this is good philosophy for all of us to think about uh, because we all want to get better in some ways or another, uh, but we need to think about what we're aiming at and why we're aiming at it and what we're asking for and why we're asking for those things. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope that you've taken away a few bits of value to uh, then use and implement in your own life. As I often like to say, uh, these episodes are only as good as they are implemented into your life and as, as they help you experience greater meaning and depth in your everyday life. So I hope you've enjoyed it and I will talk to you next time.